off Katoa. Katoa sidestep 10-5 and right in the end zone. Lopini Katoa. First drive and first score for BYU. This is Behind the Mic on BYU Radio. Now back to the voice of the Cougars, Greg Rubel. Well, BYU's last game of last season was Kalani Sitake's 20th win as BYU's head coach. Coach Sitake starting his fourth year on the sidelines with four Power 5 opponents right out of the gates. In fact, BYU's the only program in the country to face four P5s in the first month of the season. And Coach Kalani Sitake joining Riley Nelson and me now on BYU Football Media Day. Hey, Coach. Gentlemen, how you doing? You do love this day, right? I do. It was a great day. Talk, talk about BYU football the entire day, so it's a lot of fun and that just means the season's right around the corner, so that's the, that's the most exciting part for me. And we've got you with the new guy today. Yeah, well, the, the new oldie, right? <laughs> so uh, um, I'm excited that Riley's part of the team, so looking forward to the season with him. Riley Nelson, uh, when did you first become acquainted with uh, Kalani Sitake? That was uh, probably 2004, 2005 when he was at Utah, and mm-hmm. I was getting recruited. Uh, Gary Anderson was actually assigned to my area. But uh, on a couple of informal recruiting trips down there, I met all the coaches and met Coach Kalani, and he had a mean. They had a mean crew down there. You were coaching D line at that time, right? I was a linebacker. Or linebackers, with, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, Gary, I was too distracted by the fact that Gary Anderson was trying to convince me to play safety for him down there. He, he pointed out, he's like, "Hey, you can be just like Eric Well." I'm like, "Hey, I'm self aware enough to know that I'm not." But anyway, you so could it's, have done it's, it though. It's been a while. It's been about 15 years, and and it's been a great 15 years, kind of going in and out, and and uh, I remember. I I got tackled in 2012 I, when he was a D coordinator at Utah. I got tackled in the sideline and picked me up. I can't remember, you know, and it's, it's always been a, a great relationship. Kalani, what, what did you think of Riley as a player? Extremely difficult to plan against and uh, just had, he just had this moxie about him too, you know, this, this confidence that, that I thought was really good for the, uh, the rest of the team. They kind of took on the uh, the, the mindset that he had. I, I, I honestly think that if, if he didn't experience any of these injuries that he would be one of the one of the best quarterbacks that came through here and he had that trajectory and and I was really impressed with how he handled even the injuries and the toughness that he showed and um I'm just glad he's part of the team here but uh, you know it's it's hard because I was trying to recruit him to be part of our team I didn't want to play against him and <laughs> and uh, how, how funny things end up you know looking forward in 2019 to have him part of the team and for me to, I was I was always a BYU guy to follow the team, even though I was at Utah coaching there. And I was interested in the one game that we played against them, but I always made sure to follow Riley and his progress. And I, I've been really impressed with him as a person. Uh, the football player is he's extremely talented, but as a person, getting to know him and and what he stands for, it's, it's amazing. We look forward to a lot of uh, good days and nights uh, with you on the headset this season, certainly. To, uh, to BYU 2019, Kalani, how much does the end of last season hint at what we might be all about this season? Well, I think the players are the ones that are running the show. You know, I, 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 um, they, they believe, and that's the, the key. That uh, I think as coaches, you can try to do as much as you can, get guys motivated. But that, that game last year against Utah – um, although heartbreaking it was, it was really such a cool thing to see our players respond from it. And I've seen the uh, a, uh, a loss like that hurt a team um, the next the next game, right? But I saw a different group. I saw young men that led the way and said, hey, we've got to learn from this and get to the next game. And the result was what you saw in the bowl game. But the 
15 practices leading up to the bowl game, I was shocked at how awesome these young men were. And I was so excited. Like, hmm. uh, I was just thinking to myself, this is going to be awesome. I wish we played Utah again right now. You know, and, and um, to win that bowl game and then to see it go from that bowl game to the spring football. I mentioned it in the state of the football um, part of our, progr- our, our media day where the guys that feel like they failed the team – um, that got on the on the field, they were third stringers, um, and they felt like they let the team down. They weren't ready. Those guys, you should have seen the approach that they had going into spring football. But it was a, such a cool example for everyone else to see that your moment could be at any time, and you need to be ready for it. And being overprepared is way better. And I don't know how you teach that lesson than for them to go through that experience. E- even if we were to squeak out a win in that game, I don't think they come through the spring football with the same type of uh, approach, you know. And um, and I, I'm the head coach, and I'm watching all this happen. And I'm watching the leadership take form. I'm watching a quarterback that is not participating, but was a true freshman and earned and earned a starting spot. And I watched him become a leader and be demanding of his teammates, and have them respond with a lot of um, with with uh, with. Uh, you know, confirming that he's a leader, and then I watched as a guy like Jaron Hall killed it in spring and 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 evolved and became a much better player with all those reps that he got. And then I saw a competition with Joe Critchlow and Baylor Romney, and I I saw a group form, and we saw some deficiencies that we had, and we were able to approach them and try to get our depth better for the season. And but this is all driven by the players. They they they've been chomping at the bit for this game, and it's kind of. Their their desire and passion for this game has kind of has gone to the coaches and has taken taken root of all of for for all of us and and um, we're really excited for this. I can't wait for the seventy two days to go by. We can get this game on. You mentioned the sideline uh, spring that that Zach had recovering from the surgery as he is. You said this morning he's on schedule. He said he's on pace to be full go in August, and that's great. And Riley, you've got a perspective on what Zach is going through right now, right? Yeah, I had actually had two of these surgeries, one coming out of high school and then another one after my freshman year of college. And luckily I went on a mission where I didn't have the opportunity or I didn't ever need to be on a pitch count. It was go walk the streets and just uh, don't throw rocks. So, Coach, the question for you is, uh, is there a load management or a pitch count um, just to make sure? Because obviously Zach played through this injury last year, so it's one that if you have a high pain tolerance, you can play through it. But I'm thinking more that, that uh, you know, because he is an 18, 19-year-old, a very aggressive and competitive kid that's going to want to rush back and do everything quick. To Are we going to keep him on a pitch count so that he doesn't end up in the same situation next year? Of course. And, and the, the great thing about this injury, if you can say that, is that the rehab, we have great examples. Drew Brees had this exact same thing happen, and so did Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck went off course of his rehab and re-injured it again. Right, Drew Brees. I think maybe being older was uh, was able to um, hold back a little bit more and stay on on pace and didn't push it. And there you have it. And these are the same people that did their surgery on Zach. And so as they're going through his rehab, they're saying you got to keep the, Brew, the Drew Brees format and try to avoid being Andrew Luck. And so the such a cool thing for him to see. And, and I'm sitting there going, thank you, right? Yeah. And, and this is awesome. And, and and so I think we're on pace because we feel good about the progress that we're seeing from that as as the um, kind of as the uh, standard for us to follow. Well, he's uh, as as uh, promising a quarterback as BYU's had, based on what he showed us as a freshman. And I get the sense that 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 with Zach with the season under his belt, and and we've got a Bushman and a Hefo 
and uh, even a Romney out there uh, to throw to, a deeper running back core. I get the sense, BYU, could be a punchier team this year on offense. Is that that a fair thing to, to expect? I mean, I think we have to have high expectations for this group, um, and I think it's their job to exceed them. You know, so um, I think when you're having the type of depth that we have at quarterback position, and you have an experienced old line, and you have capable receivers at tight end and receivers, receiver and running back, then um, I, I expect production. But you know, what I expect is. Not even close to what Jeff Grimes expects from this group, you know, and so I, I'm looking forward to seeing this group get out there and play. And um, we have to have that aggressive mindset of letting the players play and let them make the big plays and, and trust them, you know. And I think having a, um, a true freshman win the starting spot the right way was it was imperative for us to move on from here mm. rather than just giving it to him. But it also allowed Tanner Mangum to realize – um, his role as a, as a leader and also to be mature about it. And, and he set a really good um, environment in that group, you know, with with him learning and, and being a mentor to Zach. And it's kind of set a really cool, cool uh, mindset for the rest of the group. Coach, uh, switching gears over to the defense, my, uh, I think we've got a ton of talent there. Obviously, this unit uh, performed very well, but I always worry a little bit when you have impactful seniors graduating that there can be a, a little bit of a void. So in Corbin and Sione Takitaki moving on, um, who were probably the two not only the two, one of the two of the most productive, but also the two most well-known and guys who I know were extremely well-respected among their teammates in the locker room. Who are some guys that you see emerging to fill that? You've, you've talked about how important these players, the expectation that they hold and the standard that they hold themselves to. On the defensive end, who's emerging to hold that standard and rallying the teammates in that unit? Well, I think it's important that they um, do it themselves, right, and that it's an organic movement and... and um, it's funny because I think the guys that are really taking the place of replacing Sione as a leader um, has always been Isaiah Kafusi and Zane Anderson. Um, Zane been hurt and same with Isaiah towards the end of the year. It kind of elevated Sione's leadership role towards the end of the season. But those guys have been leaders from the from the get go, and um, I think they're going to be able to fill in for his role quite finely. And I think that if you look at um, you know, I think when we talked about it with with Coach Lamb and Coach Tuyaki, they mentioned Devin replacing um, Corbin. I think that that might be the uh, a good movement. But Devin's only a sophomore, but I think the guys like Zach Daw and others that are in that group is going to be it's going to be really important for Kyrus and um, other guys just to step up. Lorenzo Faltea and Earl Mariner; those guys who kind of do it by committee, but. I think you can really look to the defensive backfield like Austin Lee, Troy Warner, Chris Wilcox and their leadership. And and um, they've played a lot of games. Diane Gonwuluku is a guy that he doesn't like to speak up much, but he has to now. But the, yeah. the team, it's important for him. They listen when he speaks. And, and um, that's always hard for a guy that's, you know, well, I don't talk much. Well, tough. This is yeah. the team needs you. You know, and, and I think we've really focused on being un- uncomfortable. Do you think I like speaking in front of people? Right. I mean, I'd rather not, right? But <laughs> yeah. um, I, I think Diane's learning a lot now. He was, I was really proud of him today. And that's probably the most a lot of people have heard him talk. And um, But I think the team really needs his voice to be heard. He'll be on my show uh, next hour. We'll hear more from Diane. I'll ask him this, but I'll ask you the same question. Is he a safety or a corner or whatever you need? 
He can play whatever. He can play running back. He can really do it all. Um, I think he thinks he can play quarterback, but we've seen him throw. He can't do that. <laughs> but I, I just like the confidence in him. Uh, I, I've I've been around a lot of really good players and seen the versatility, and, and he reminds me of like Eric Weddle versatility type. Um, I mean, I know Eric was a great player, and he's playing in the NFL still today, but I think it's okay for Diane to have high expectations of himself. He's a big playmaker. Um, you didn't hear about him much when he was playing corner because he was doing his job, right? But I, I think um, now that he's a senior, he, he can embrace the role of corner, nickel, safety, free and strong. And um, I just I, I think he's going to be a big part of our success as, as a team. And he's just he's a tough young man, and I, I love the way he's he's. Um, I just like the maturity that he's shown, and him being married is, is a, a huge step for him. It worked a lot for Siona, and I think he could do the same things for, for Diane. And he gets in the end zone on defense, and occasionally <laughs> on offense, too. Um, you were top 25 in scoring defense last year. There were a lot of really strong defensive numbers. If I were to guess, if there was one thing either you or E were thinking about maybe wanting more from this year, maybe a little more havoc, a little more mm-hmm. in the way of, uh, of disruption, is that a fair thing to say right now? Because you are solid in so many ways right now defensively. I believe so. I, I think so there's a kind of misconception of, uh, of great defense. Um, even in the years that we've played, we, we were when I was coordinating. We led the the, um, the NCAA in sacks. Right, one that, year, that, that was right? the big thing for you. Yeah, yeah and, and yeah. but um, what people don't realize is the bulk of our sacks came in a four man rush. <laughs> so um, I think it's important that we create havoc with the four man rush playing base defense. Um, Obviously, we can dial up some pressure here and there, but what you sacrifice is an opportunity for an offense to make a big play when you take one less guy in coverage. And and against these really good teams with really um, with really um, quality quarterbacks, it's going to be hard to just test them. Uh, but I think it's okay with the mindset that hey, there's nothing wrong with blitzing everybody, um, and and I think you can do it quite often. I am at that position where I think that 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 can happen at any time. I want E to feel comfortable with his game plan, knowing that I expect him to do it whatever it takes to win the game, and um, and that, if that means blitz every play, then go ahead and do it. And if that means drop eight, and now we can we have disruption, go ahead and do it. But I, I think I've given him free reign to do whatever he feels is comfortable in a game. And obviously, I'm going to be overlooking it and giving my advice, but I do that on offense, defense, and special teams. And I think I I'm more of the go after it type of guy than than anything. I I believe if you practice something then you better call it in the game otherwise it better not be on the on the call sheet. Ultimately, if you had to pick being highly ranked in sacks or being highly ranked in fewest points allowed, you're taking the second one. Exactly. <laughs> and then I'd like to do both, but I think yeah. that's going to be the key for us right. to win game. <laughs> Coach, one one of the big things for me as a player this time of year is all about getting your body in in prime shape. And mm-hmm. one of the things that's changed from from back when I played, which is being now seven eight years ago, is the emphasis on prehab and recovery and really injury prevention. Because for let's go back, you you mentioned that Sac Lake, Sac Lake Sac Lake City team that you had, and one of the big things about Nate Orchard and all those guys, like they stayed on the field and they played all twelve and thirteen games, which mm-hmm. is part of the reason you were able to have such consistent um, production. What measures have either the players taken upon themselves or at a program and strength and conditioning standpoint are we taking to um, make sure that uh, not only guys are in tip peak performance shape but they're also hedging and preventing against uh, potential injuries that could wreck the depth i think some of the biggest problems right now with health in, in college football is overtraining and and i think that i would agree by the way yeah and you know when we were when we were playing it was i mean 
were guys that both got injured quite a bit, but yep. um, I trained a lot. <laughs> and, and, I, and, and, and the guys that I would always get frustrated because guys that didn't train as hard as I did were fine. I think the key <laughs> for us is to, is to pattern our, 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 our strength and conditioning so that we're hitting peak performance um, by the time we get to the first game. And so being in shape right now does us no good. And so 72 days out, I think being in shape by the time we get to the first game is going to be really important. And then trying to keep it at that level for 11, for 11 more games. You know what I mean? And, and that's the key. But at some point, you know, we're going to have to use depth to keep guys healthy and then and be strategic on when they're going to be on the field. Obviously, you want your best guys towards the end of the game making sacks. And um, we've gotten to a problem with that with, with Sione last year where he was just didn't ever want to come off the field. And he would start to start to fall apart towards the end of the game, and and um, what we need to do is make sure that we utilize our, our our depth so that we can keep those guys healthy. But at the same time, we overtraining is the biggest problem right now, and kids feeling that they they they're not doing anything, so nothing's happening. And so education is the key, and communicating with our players and making them realize that the the goal is the game, not right now. I, it's the same way in MMA fighting. If you look at uh, sports nowadays, too many people are overtraining. They're in great shape when they're not even fighting or playing in a basketball court. And it's the same thing with football. Quick follow up on that. So, oftentimes the those guys who were grinding in the weight room, like you, like that was the best way to prove yourself as a as a leader. Or those were the guys that looked to. Unfortunately, it was uh, it's a double edged sword because, as you say, you had your best players trying out there to be leaders, and and they were grinding their bodies down. And it came to the season, they were constantly dealing with injuries. What have you done to take steps to separate that, or or I guess architect of the program to where? You don't have to be out there killing yourself or, you know, bent, you know, just absolutely grunting under a 500-pound squat bar to be a leader. There are other ways. Yeah, and I think that having them around each other and not having the emphasis of being a leader as the guys that work the hardest. And, and otherwise, all the injured guys or have no leadership Or that doing role. a bunch of weightlifting is hard work, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah so it's changing the, the narrative, right? Yeah. Where um, – being around and being part of the team and being a team player is the most important thing and not judging someone who needs to gain weight because his eating habits is, is, is not good enough, not judging him and saying, well, that's not a leader. It, true leadership is people that need that want to be led also and, and responding to what's being said. If if a young freshman who says something like, hey, don't don't go on your knees in a run, says that and we attack him for saying that, then we're wrong. Right, and if we attack them, and say, "Well, you're, you haven't earned the right to speak," then that's a, that's a foolish thing. And so, if they're speaking truth, it's being able to respond to the truth rather than who's saying it. And that's what we're trying to get to keep the focus on. And so, and the other thing is to really plan our PRPs, and so you're not you're taking the intensity off of it, off of the players, and and you're saving them from themselves. You and I would, if we we were left on our own to do stuff, we would work ourselves to death because we didn't we didn't think that. I would go to bed thinking, and I'm, I'm just coming kind of myself into this, but I would go to bed thinking that um, if I'm not completely exhausted, I didn't do enough. Yeah. And that's not great education for not my part. And this, these young men need to know that we need to feel that way after the Utah game, yeah. not, not 72 days before. That's tremendous. 
Well, we hope that Kalani's not completely exhausted yet. There's more media work to do for him. So we'll let Kalani go. Riley will uh, cut you loose till the top of the hour. We've got coaches Lamb and Tuiaki coming up next as our coverage of BYU Football Media Day continues here on Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel on BYU Radio.